Hey, this is Rich Wilkerson. I'm the pastor of VU Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Well, we have been in this collection of talks day by day, and we're in these 21 days of prayer and fasting where we're taking time really to starve our flesh and to feed on the presence of God and to take moments with the presence of God. And I think it's so important for us that as we fast and as we pray corporately, God is building something in us individually. And I believe that God wants to see his church grow. God wants to see the church be the church. And that can only happen when individuals take the responsibility of their spiritual lives. Because I've realized that we have got a, a measurement of growth for everything but our spiritual lives. We measure how many followers we have on Instagram. We measure how many likes we get on TikTok. Does TikTok still exist? Well, I'm not sure. We, for now, right? We, we measure how much we weigh. We measure how fast we can run. We measure how much money we have in the bank or lack thereof. We, we look at our stocks on Robinhood. We measure all of this. We have a plan for everything. You've got a, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a backup plan, but what is our plan for our spiritual growth? And I believe God is calling us to take time to measure our spiritual growth. And it's not that easy. It's not like you become a level one Christian and do 10 things and become a, a level 10 Christian. But the way that we measure our growth is by our fruit. Are we producing fruit? See, Galatians says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The way that I measure whether or not am I growing, I have to look, am I producing fruit? Is there fruit coming from my life? And that's the reason why we take time to lean into spiritual practices so that we can bear fruit. And today we're gonna to be leaning into the spiritual practice of fasting. And before you log off and just like, no, no, fasting is not for me. I believe that there's a word that God wants to speak to you specifically. There is something that God wants to do in you and through you. And so for the next few moments, I'm gonna to talk to you from this thought, a tale of two tests. See, I realize whenever God is testing us, he doesn't do it so to find out if we'll pass or fail, but he does it so that we can learn some lessons. He, he wants us to learn a lesson. So I'm going to take a moment really to talk through two stories to draw from the lessons that God wants to speak to us. Let's pray together because I need God's help. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much for speaking. God, we thank you that we are here to just lean in and to hear from you, God. And I pray that as I speak these words, God, that it would be you, Jesus, that you would just come and invade this space, God, that you would come and invade the homes of people, God, wherever they are, God, in their living rooms, in their kitchen, in their car, wherever they are, God, I pray that you would speak the word that they need to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Come on, just type amen in the chat. Amen, amen. I really want to take us to the very first book of the Bible in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Genesis 3, verse 1 to 6. And it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He had said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God said you must not eat 
from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So whether you're familiar with Christianity or not, uh, maybe this is your first time hearing a sermon, you've probably heard of Adam and Eve. And they hadn't been on earth but three chapters and they already started messing things up. They had one commandment, Genesis 2, verse 17. This is what God says to Adam. He says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. But now we see Eve, she is talking to the serpent. He poses her this question, did God really say that? And so she thinks back, so well, he said, don't eat the tree in the middle of the garden, don't touch it or, or you'll surely die. But if we really see that, she adds a few things to that. She adds that the tree is in the middle of a garden. She also adds that God says not to touch it. And some scholars believe that Eve said that it was in the middle of the garden because she made it the middle of her garden. That she was so attracted to it that it was all she could think about. Everything revolved around this tree. And we do this, right? Like the things that we're tempted by, everything, like our lives revolve around it. Everywhere we go, we see it, we think about it. And we see that Eve made this tree the middle of her garden. And I think she added the part not to touch it because she was just like, look, she had to add an extra layer. She's like, don't, she probably, she's like, don't touch it, Eve. Don't, don't touch it, Eve. And, and so she, she, is tempted by this tree and it would make sense, right? Like how can you get tempted by something you don't care about? Like the things that I'm tempted by are the things that I actually care about. We're, We're in these 21 days of prayer and fasting and if you put a plate of cauliflower in front of me and said don't eat it, I'm like easy, no problem. But like if you put a plate of like jerk chicken, you put some Haitian food in front of me, like I'm going to be like y'all kids. Remember when y'all were doing that thing? Like everybody was putting like gummy bears in front of their kids and seeing if they would eat it or not. Like I'm going for it. I'm, I'm going for it because I'm tempted by it. And so we see that Eve was tempted by this tree. And so when the serpent comes up to her and asks her this question, she, she thinks about it. And then when she hears, oh, I guess I won't die. I guess I will try. And so we see Eve, she eats the fruit. And then she gives to her husband and then he eats the fruit and the first sin enters into the world. And I think it's interesting to think that the first sin enters into the world by a fruit. By something as small as a fruit, sin enters into this world. And and now fruit isn't bad, food isn't bad, but the sin was her lack of trust. It was her lack of obedience to God, not trusting his word and trusting the word of someone else. And see, when they got into the garden, God had given them dominion over things, but now the thing that they had dominion over took dominion over them. And so we see the fall of man happens the moment that they eat a fruit. But there's a second story. And now this story is in the first book of the New Testament. And it's Matthew 4. Jesus is in the wilderness, and and he's led to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But before he gets to the wilderness is Matthew 3. 
And now in Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized by his cousin John. And when he gets baptized, he hears this voice from the heaven says, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And see, that's significant because Jesus hadn't done anything yet in his ministry. He hadn't preached a sermon on the mount. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't done anything yet, but we see God taking a moment to say, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And that's significant for us because sometimes we think that, well, if I pray enough, if I fast enough, if I do more things, then God will love me. Then God will approve of me. Even before Jesus goes into his 40 days of prayer and fasting, God is saying, I already approve of you. I already love you. You don't have to work for this. And so as we're stepping into this time of prayer and fasting, we're understanding you're not working to get God's love. See, that's what the Pharisees would do. The Pharisees would often, they would fast and they would pray and and they would uh, really just show themselves like, oh, here we are, we're fasting and we're praying and they would work so hard so people could see how religious they were. And Jesus often rebuked them for that because our fasting doesn't come from a place of showing, hey, this is how much work I can do. It comes from a place of resting in who God already says that I am. And so before Jesus steps into his 40-day fast, he is approved. Before he steps into his 40-day fast, he is loved by God. And that's where our second story picks up. In Matthew 4, verse 1 to 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter came and said, If you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In verse eight, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. See, Jesus is led into this wilderness and he is praying for 40 days and 40 nights. And this story is kind of familiar. There's some some similar characters in this story. We've got the tempter, he's back. And he's really got the same old trick. Hey, why don't you eat this thing, right? But then we have somebody being tempted and we have some kind of food. And he says to Jesus, he says, turn this stone into bread. Some people's like, I knew bread was evil. That's why I'm gluten-free. He tells him, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus had spent 40 days in solitude, in prayer. He had spent time with God to understand that he did not need physical food because he was in the presence of God. That the presence of God was the thing that sustained him. Both of the stories had a tempter. Both of the stories had a tempty. Both of them had to do with food. But the difference between the two stories is Jesus' ability to say no. He had the ability to say no. And before we give Eve a hard time, her test wasn't that easy. It wasn't that easy. I always struggle with this Genesis story, right? Like, why would they put 
the tree in the garden. Just don't put the tree in the garden and we'll live happily ever after and we'll be vegan our whole lives. Like, just don't even put the tree there. I wrestled with it, but I understand why the tree had to be in the middle of the garden. After doing some research and some thinking, I understand why God had to put the tree in the middle of the garden. If we look Genesis 2, verse 19, it says, Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And when I read that, I was like, of course. Like, why would there be a suitable helper within the animals? You see, the only thing that can give a name to something is something that has power and authority. And, and God had already said, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over the wild animals. And so there was this authority that God had already given to Adam, but he had made it very specific. Adam, you are not like my other creation. You are not like these animals. You're different. I've given you power and authority. And so the reason why God put the tree in the middle of the garden was to show Adam that he's not an animal. You're like, okay, I don't get it. Break, break it down. Break that down a little bit. The reason why the tree was in the garden was because he needed to give Adam something to say no to. There had to be something he could say no to because if there was nothing for him to say no to, what would he be driven by? All of his desires, all of his inclination. God is trying to teach us we are not driven by our desires. It doesn't have to be the narrative of our story. What, what I feel doesn't have to be the narrative. Adam, you're different than the animals because the animal instinct is to do whatever you feel, right? Like an animal will do whatever it feels. I have a dog back home. His name is Biggie. Um, he's got a little brother named Smalls. We are unashamedly from Brooklyn. I'm naming my next dog Pop Smoke. It, some people get that, some people won't. But my dog Biggie, if I put food in front of Biggie, Biggie's going to eat it. Biggie's never going to say, hey, like, I, I can't eat that today. I'm, I'm paleo. Um, I'm, on, I'm keto. I'm 21 day. Like, it's not going to happen. He's going to go by his instincts. Animals go by their instincts. And what God was trying to teach his people is that you are not driven by your instincts. You are not driven by every single thing that you want, that you have the ability to say no. See, we are most like God because we can say no. God models this. He creates for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He said, enough. I do not have to do anything more. And what God is trying to teach his people is that you actually can harness your creative ability. You actually can harness your desires. See, our world is a really crazy place because there's some people who have not learned how to say no. There's people who just do whatever they feel and do what their desires tell them to do. But God is saying, I have created you in my image. And because you are in my image, you can say enough. You can stop. You can pause. You don't have to do everything you feel. I love what Marty Solomon he says. He says, the defining characteristic of being made in the image of God is knowing how to harness our creative powers and desires. You have the ability to say no. 
You have the ability to be able to navigate through your desires. You can say enough. And I believe that the practice of fasting helps us to perfect our no. It helps us to perfect our no. It helps us to say, hey, I don't have to do this right now. I actually can pause and stop on some things. And this is why we fast, to, to learn certain things. And now what fasting is, fasting is abstaining from food for a certain period of time. So fasting is going without food. So whether that's going without lunch, dinner, whether that's three days fasting or picking a few days to fast, but it's just going without food. And I know we have some different modifications to fasting, whether it's the Daniel fast, and that's more abstaining. When you're saying, hey, I'm not gonna eat a certain type of food, or when you take time off of social media, that is what we call abstaining. And that's a great practice too. That's a great habit that I believe that we need as Christians to learn how to abstain from things. But fasting specifically is going without food for a certain period of time. That's what fasting is. Fasting isn't a commandment. Some people are like, oh, I'm off the hook. (laughs) Fasting isn't a commandment, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation for you to receive all that God has for you. Because there's a lot of people who are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, going straight to heaven, but are living bound here on earth. And I believe what fasting is, is an opportunity to unlock some freedom in your life. It's an opportunity to unlock the promises of God over your life. And I believe that the purpose of fasting is for a few different things, but I want to talk about three specifically. The purpose of fasting is training our flesh to discipline. It's training our flesh to discipline. We, we have to learn how to t- discipline our flesh. It is to diminish certain desires in our life. God desires for us to move towards maturity, to a place where our flesh doesn't control us. But we live in a society that's do what you feel. If you feel it, do it. But I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is construction, constructive. Sometimes we think freedom is, well, I, if I, could, I can do it, that's what, that what makes me free. But sometimes we become a slave to the thing that we think that we're free to do. We're like, well, I can do whatever I want. But no, true discipline, true freedom comes when we can actually discipline our flesh, when we can actually discipline ourselves. And and we see this story in Matthew 4. It's an opportunity for Jesus to redeem history. Where Eve couldn't get it right in Genesis 3, this is the retelling of the garden story. Jesus in the wilderness, and this was something that was promised. In Genesis 3, verse 15, God says this, and he's talking to the serpent, and he's talking to Eve, and I can imagine the story. If anybody has siblings, they know what this is like. You know when you ever get in trouble with your siblings? And just like, serpent, come here. Get over here. Eve, get over here. And Adam's probably like, ooh, y'all in trouble. And, and, and God is talking to Eve, and he's talking to the serpent. He says in Genesis 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between her seed and your seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And he's telling the woman even before that you are going to have a seed that's going to defeat the serpent even though you couldn't. 
that you're going to have an offspring that is going to win in an area that you have not been able to win it. And I love this story of Genesis 3, verse 15. It's so significant for me because a few years ago, I got into a car accident and I had all kinds of injuries. This accident happened in Mexico and uh, I had broken my back. I lost my spleen. I had injured my diaphragm. All of my internal organs were, were injured. I was in a coma for 10 days. And I remember waking up out of that coma, getting back here to Miami. And uh, I had did some checkups and the doctors were like, well, you know, you're going to take some time to recover. But there's one thing that I want you to pay attention to. You have two stage two bed sores. And what that meant was I had these sores on my body and it was like, if this gets any worse, it's going to make your recovery even harder. And I was just thinking, I was like, I don't understand. Out of all the things that I've just been through, now I've got to worry about two bruises on my heel. Now I've got to worry about these two bed sores that are on my heel. And I remember being so frustrated with this. And then I read Genesis 3 verse 15. I said, out of all the injuries that I had, I had one that was biblical. And not only it was biblical, it was talking about victory. And I started looking at that injury a little bit different. I was like, I know I might have a weakness, but what God has already prophesied is that even in my weakness, I will crush the head of the enemy. And so I could walk around with my bruised heel and already know that I'm going to win. And for many of you, you are walking around with a bruised heel. You're you're walking around with a weakness. You're walking around with an addiction. You're, You're walking around with something that you can't beat. But I come to tell you that even on your worst day, you're better than the enemy on his best day. That even on your worst day, you can still crush the head of the enemy. I don't care what your weakness is. God has already given you the victory. Come on, do you believe that you have the victory even in spite of your weakness? That you will crush the head of the enemy. That thing that you thought counted you out actually counts you into the presence of God. That thing that you're ashamed about, that thing that you don't want to tell anybody about, God's like, I'm going to use that weakness for my glory. Second Corinthians says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about it in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Do you know that that weakness, that bruise will crush the head of the enemy? My favorite preacher says it the best. She said, bruised heels still crush serpents' heads. So it doesn't matter what bruise you have, you can crush the head of the enemy. And see, what I want you to realize that it's going to take fasting and it might take some counseling. It might take fasting and it might take telling somebody the truth for you to get rid of some of these things in your life. As you're in the process of training your flesh, it's going to take fasting and it's going to take an accountability partner. That we need to partner with people for us to train our flesh. God's saying, I want you to live a disciplined life and it's not unavailable to you. Some people have already given up on the fact that they could ever be free from that addiction or given up on the fact that they could ever be free from whatever they're going through. But I come to tell you that freedom is available to you. It doesn't matter what your weakness is. God's saying, trust me with it. Trust me with it. As you're taking this time to fast, trust God with whatever weakness you have. 
See, fasting is also training our bodies to pray. It's training our bodies to pray. We're, we're letting our bodies know that you're in this. We're all in this together that my prayer sometimes doesn't just come from my words. See, when we fast, it's a different kind of prayer. We're allowing our body to speak. And I know for me, for this year, a lot of my prayers didn't even happen through words. I remember before we even got into the pandemic, um, I had felt that God was saying, hey, I need you to fast for the next five Saturdays. And the first thing I did was look at my calendar. I'm like, well, God, I got this going on. I was like, I got brunch on this day. God's like, give up brunch. And so I was like, all right, you know what? I put my calendar away and I actually put on my calendar that I was going to be fasting from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. for the next five Saturdays. By that Wednesday is when everything went a different way in our world, where, where we're like, all right, we're going into a lockdown. We thought we were gonna go into a two-week lockdown. I remember going to Walmart, I'm buying canned foods. I'm like, there's not a hurricane, this is, you're gonna be okay. And so I remember thinking, it's so crazy how I thought that I was gonna have plans for the next five Saturdays. My calendar was cleared. And God had already prescribed the time that he had for me to say, hey, you're gonna sit in my presence. You got nothing else to do, but you're not going to find other things to fill, fill this time because we do that, right? We, we try to find other things to fill that time, but God's like, you're going to use this time to pray and fast, and I had no idea how much I needed that time because I had no clue what was getting ready to happen in the next five weeks. I had felt during that pandemic time, there was this one weekend that I got a call every single day from a friend saying, hey, I lost my, my mom. I lost my dad. Like, I didn't even know what to do. Every single day, I felt like I was either crying, asking God to heal somebody, or crying, mourning somebody who was lost. This thing after thing kept on happening over those next five weeks where I begin to understand why God had allotted that time for me to be praying and fasting. I felt like I was crying so much. Psalms 56 verse 8 encouraged me. It said, you keep a track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And what I learned about God in that season is that he understands the language of our tears. That he understands the language of our cries, even though I didn't have the words to say God understood the language of my tears. Moms will often talk about this, that they know when a baby has a hungry cry or when they're, they're th whatever it is, they can distinguish the cry. How much more can God distinguish your cry? How much more can God distinguish what you're feeling, the, the cries of your heart? God understands the language of your tears. He even understands the tears that you hold back. God hears us. There's, there's a language of desperation that we learn in a time of prayer and fasting. I think about the woman with the issue of blood. In Mark 5, verse 25 to 29, it says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. 
Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from suffering. See, this woman, she had spent all that she had. She had did everything that she could and then she heard about Jesus. She heard Jesus was passing through and she had enough faith to say, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could only touch him, I know that he, that I will be healed. And as I read this and I thought about the desperation of the woman, I'm like, it'll be really great to preach that everything that you need is within your reach, right? Like your blessing is within your reach, your, your health, your next level is within your reach. And as I was thinking through that, God revealed to me, he said, no, it's not within your reach this way. It's within your reach this way. That when you lift up your hands, when you begin to worship the King of Kings, that everything that you need is within your reach that your blessing is within your reach, that your next level is in your reach, that everything that God has for you is within your reach. It is within the lifting of your hands. It is within the shout that is in your voice, that it is within your reach. You're wondering, how do I get to the thing that God has for me? And it looks like lifting up your hands, and it looks like opening up your mouth, because what God has for you is within your reach. It's within your reach. See, I don't got 10 points of what to do or seven points on this. I've got three points and it looks like lifting up my left hand and lifting up my right hand and opening up my mouth and giving God praise. So why don't you take about five seconds to give God some praise. It's within your reach. It's within your reach. What God has for you is within your reach. See, our, our desperation, our vulnerability to God is, it's within my reach. Am I willing to reach out? Am I willing to worship God when I don't understand? Am I willing to bring him all of me? Am I willing to worship him with my heart, my soul, and my might? Am I willing to give him everything? See, what I learned is that sometimes we're like, well, this is not my expression of worship. Like, I didn't, I didn't grow up this way, but your desperation doesn't have a denomination. It doesn't matter if you're Methodist, if you're Pentecostal, if, if you're desperate, you'll start doing some desperate things to get into the presence of God. I want to worship God with all of me. I want every part of me to be in alignment with my worship to God. I want every part of me to understand that as I'm fasting, I'm praying and I'm seeking the face of God and I'm seeking the heart of God that it's within your reach, that it's within your worship. It's within your seeking of God. It's within your time with God that we are training our bodies to pray. See, we're also training our hearts to compassion. Fasting is to train our hearts to compassion. Isaiah 58 says this very clearly. Isaiah is challenging the people of his day. And I really encourage you to take some time to read Isaiah 58 in its entirety. But verse two, it starts off by saying, for, the, for day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what's right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say. 
and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. It says in verse 12, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age old foundations. You will be called repairer of the broken walls, restorer of the streets of dwelling. So you can do all the spiritual practices that you want, but if your heart doesn't change, is it true fasting? If our hearts aren't changed, is it true fasting? God doesn't want us to do all this stuff, but our heart is left unchanged. God doesn't want us to do all these things to be left unchanged. Let's not only lean into our spirituality and forget about people's humanity. Let's not be so quick to get into a church building, but forget about the people outside of the building. Scott McKnight says this, as the priest and the Levite thought they could follow the Torah and not offer aid to the stranded dying man, so Isaiah's community thought they could abstain from food and pass by the needs of others on their way to God. Fasting never stands alone. Fasting, if it's genuine, brings us into communal spirituality because it is a response to the lack of justice in a community. Fasting should lead you to compassion. Fashion, um, fasting should lead us to caring about our brothers and sisters who are hurting, who are broken, who are facing injustice. Fasting should lead our hearts to a place where I care about what's happening to other people, where I'm listening to their story, where I'm taking time to hear about the brokenness of my black and brown brothers and sisters, where I'm listening to the brokenness of those who are being trafficked, or I'm listening to the hurt and the broken who don't have enough food it should lead me to compassion it should lead me to be more like God there, there's a verse in the Bible that says rend your heart and not your garments because oftentimes in the ancient days when they would hear about things that were hurting them they would tear off their clothes and they would have sackcloth and ashes but God's like are you gonna tear your clothes when your heart does not break you tear your clothes, but your heart does not tear. Your, your heart does not break for the things that break for me. Our hearts need to break for the things that breaks the heart of God. That It has to lead me into a place of compassion. It has to lead me into a place where I care about the broken. 
I don't want to fast just so God can bless me. I'm done fasting for God to give me the blessing that I need. God has blessed me and I'm so grateful, but what about other people? Like God doesn't want us to live in our little Christian bubble where we get everything that we need, but our world is still hurting and broken. Our hearts should break for the things that break the heart of God. That my fasting should lead me to compassion. And I've been doing a few things that can try to help me. I've been sitting down on the days where I feel hungry and I think about people who feel this every single day. That this is just something that I have voluntarily decided to do for 21 days, but I've been pausing and I've been taking time to think about the people on the street that ask me for money. It, 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 it makes me feel a little bit different when I'm like, I don't need to worry about what you're gonna use this for. I'll just give to you because I know what it feels like to be hungry. I know what it feels like to be broken. And that's the place that God wants us to lead us to, to a place where we understand the, the brokenness of our fellow humankind. May our hearts be changed. May our hearts break for the things that break the heart of God. That's where God wants to get his church to be in a place where they feel what he feels, where they understand what he cares about. I want to care about the things that God cares about. I want to pray about the things that God wants me to pray about. God, align my will to your will, Jesus. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 32. It says, see, a king will reign in righteousness and the rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of the water in a desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed and the ears of those who here will listen. What he's trying to say is that we have a king and his name is Jesus, but he has called some rulers to rule his land, that we are his rulers. It says each one, you are the each one. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm. Streams in the water of the desert, a shadow of the great rock. So the question you have to ask yourself is this, Am I shelter for somebody in the wind? Am I refuge for somebody in the storm? Am I a stream of water in somebody's desert? Am I a shadow for somebody when they need it? Am I shade for people when they need it? That is what God is calling the church to be. That if you don't have somebody that is in a desert, find somebody in a desert and be water for somebody in the desert. Find somebody to be shade for in the desert. That God is calling his church to rise up. I want to be shade for somebody in their desert. I want to be water for somebody in their desert. That's what God is calling you to do. He says, each one will be a shelter from the wind. If I am not a shelter from the wind, I need to find somebody to be shelter for. Because I want to do what God is calling me to do. I want to do what God is calling me to do. I want to lead in a way that God is calling me to lead. I, I want my heart to be in a place where it can hear the heart of God, where, where it can sense the heart of God. See, that's my prayer, that God would have my heart. 
That's my prayer that my heart would be changed. And just right here in this moment, wherever you are, just eyes closed. If we could just make that our prayer, if we could just make that our response, that God, I give you my heart. I give you every piece of me and I align my will with your will, God. It's not what I want, but God, what do you want? What do you want in this season? What do you want for your people? God, what have you called your church to? And so God, we just respond in worship. God, and we give you our heart. We give you all that we have, God, that you can have our hearts. God, I give you every piece of me. That God, you can have it all. God, change my heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.